Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of The Breakfasters for week ending Friday the 6th of November. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, we talk to Dr. Zim Wakora all about the US election. Also, Melbourne is getting out and about uh, and we're making platters. Bit of a fun discussion about that. And uh, Digger popped in to uh, for Down and Dirty to tell us what to plant right now. Of course, uh, Simone Ubaldi came in to review screen stuff and looked at Prayer of the Roller Boys, a film from the very early 90s, which led us into a, a nostalgic chat about our first rollerblade. Triple R. Here to debrief and give us the latest on the US presidential election, we're joined by Senior Lecturer in Politics and Policy Studies at Deakin University, Dr. Zim Wakora. Welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be on. Thanks. Oh, our pleasure. Um, What do you think? Bring us up to speed. What's the state of play? Well, it's it's been an incredible election. Uh, my my first reaction um, as the results are coming in is the pollsters have um, completely underestimated Trump's level of support. Uh, that being said, uh, the trends seem to be suggesting that Biden has the clearer path to victory. It's too early to make a decisive call, um, but in a lot of the states that are going to decide this, uh, that includes Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona. Uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan, uh, Biden is trending strongly um, and Trump is looking like he's either falling behind or may well fall behind um, as the mail-in votes are counted. Uh, So I think it's looking sort of promising for uh, Biden, but he hasn't won and Trump hasn't lost yet. So it's still unclear. Mm. What do these paths look like? What What does Trump need to do to secure victory? Well, Trump needs to um, uh, win some of the states that Biden is kind of now moving towards victory in. So in um, Pennsylvania, Trump has a lead, but that lead is basically diminishing. Uh, In um, uh, Arizona, um, Biden took the lead late last night, uh, Australia time. Um, and is now extending that lead. So the problem is that the trends are kind of, Biden seems to have the momentum with Mm. the way the voting uh, has come in. Interestingly, there are parallels between this election and what happened four years ago. I don't know if you recall, um, uh, Trump was well behind Hillary when the voting started. uh, And then over time, uh, Trump sort of had the momentum and you saw this red sweep. Uh, I just sort of get the sense that we are uh, observing a similar trend, but but in reverse for the, for the Democrats this time, as opposed to against them. And that's a problem for, for Trump. Mm. And, and Trump made this speech last night, Australian time in the evening. I, I guess Americans, a lot of Americans were asleep at the time and they woke up to the news of his speech. What did you make of it? I thought it was a very curious thing to do in the first instance. I mean, conventionally in in the United States and also in other democracies, you don't make that kind of speech until the result is clearer. Uh, And furthermore, the way the convention, the norm works, is that the loser concedes and then the winner accepts that, um, praising the loser for the gracious way in which they've conceded. And that's, if you like, part of the democratic discourse. That's the way democracies talk their way around the potential conflict and tension that an election can can produce. So for Donald Trump as the president um, to come out and say, 
I've won this, even while voting was going on, was extremely unusual in that sort of democratic context. Um, however, it's not unusual for Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> and in a sense, it's very consistent with the Donald Trump playbook, trying to capture the narrative, trying to seize the moment, trying to impose a, a, a kind of reality on what we're seeing. And because we've sort of observed this now for, for four years, people, I think, um, weren't that surprised uh, and it's interesting that a lot of the media outlets I was looking at um, preemptively said, look, the result is unclear. Uh, and even while Trump was speaking, they were making it very clear that they weren't going to be sort of pressured into validating um, what he was saying. And, and Biden as well preempted this by, uh, by saying, look, we think we're going well, but the result is unclear. So it's very clear that people were anticipating uh, Trump trying to seize the moment in this way and preparing uh, a response accordingly. Mm. And do you see this winding up for a while in the courts? Uh, will it will it go to the courts instantly? Is it is it going to be a repeat of the year two thousand? Uh, that's a good, great question. I think the answer depends on how close this actually becomes. Uh, at the moment, it's very close. So you could easily see it being litigated on all sorts of grounds. One would be uh, recounts that the Trump campaign would almost certainly want in, in states like Wisconsin because the margin is very small. But if that margin continues to grow, then I think the probability of this being litigated by Trump remains probably quite high. But in a sense, that matters less because the other uh, elites in the political system will probably realize the game is over. I mean, uh, re recounts, even if Trump wins a recount, so if one is allowed, uh, recounts very rarely change election results by big margins. So if, if the margin is sort of more than 1%, if we're talking hundreds of thousands of votes, um, then it, the, a recount isn't going to change that. Um, and in such circumstances, pragmatic politicians, even on the Republican side, will eventually come to their to, to sort of a, a general sense that this this is over uh, and yeah. it's time to prepare for the future. Yeah. And so highest ever turnout. What what, what do you think this election in, reveals about the future of U.S. politics? Yeah, I think that's perhaps the question I've been thinking about most, because I think it's extremely interesting as an analyst of American politics. Yeah, uh, I, I, I follow it really closely. And whenever I see a major sort of data point like this, it reveals all sorts of things. You know, uh, for starters, um, uh, I was very interested to see the, uh, the the dissonance in the Latino community. So the fact that the Latino community is not voting together, uh, I think, is one of the very interesting observations that comes out of this election. Um, clearly, Trumpism has not been repudiated. This is another interesting um, revelation. A lot of people were suggesting that this could be the end of Trumpism. The Republican Party might revert to its kind of normal uh, set of policy positions, to normal style of political discourse. I don't think that for, for, for politicians who want the party to go in that direction, that there is much of um, a, a case for that. Uh, I think Trumpism lives on. Um, and there's other sort of questions as well that that, that, that opens up. Uh, and another demonstration of how quirky and conservative America's political institutions are. I mean, once again, we have the Democratic candidate winning many, many, many more votes, and it's going to be a razor-thin uh, electoral victory. Uh, it's been quite a while since the Republicans have won the, the popular vote, but you know, they, they've, they've basically contested presidential elections and won them in the meantime. Mm. Has there been anything... Um 
that surprised you <clears throat> in this election, or has it pretty much just gone, you know, the way you thought it would? Uh, that's a great question. I think um, perhaps the biggest surprise as an analyst has been how off the polls have been. Uh, I, I, I thought that things would be closer to the projections in uh, this time around as compared with 2016. Uh, but once again, uh, the, the capacity of the professional pollsters to predict how voters are behaving at the moment seems to be quite low. Uh, and I'm not quite sure the reasons behind that. It might, have, it might be Trump-specific, um, but it might be a more general phenomenon, you know, that, for example, the sorts of people who vote for Trump um, are not engaging with pollsters. Mm. Perhaps, they're, perhaps they are misleading pollsters even intentionally. Um, this this is sort of another hypothesis that's been been put forward. But certainly, um, uh, I was looking at polls skeptically, and I will probably not even look at them uh, for a little while uh, going forward. <laughs> I wonder. I was going to say, I wonder if going forward. I mean, the polls were notoriously inaccurate last time in 2016. Um, I'm sure a lot of people didn't want to read into them this year, but you can't help yourself. Do you think going forward, people will just lose less and less faith in the polls or will we is there a better system you know that we can have to sort of predict these things well i think that another another hypothesis that i should have raised because in in a sense it might be the most important is that trump is a really good campaigner and that the polls really did capture the state of play as it was you know a week ago uh where biden did have a lead and Trump went at this barnstorming run around the country, campaigning aggressively. He's in his element on 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 the campaign. You know, he he, he speaks convincingly. He seems energized. This is a man who had COVID uh, a month ago, uh, and he's in his seventies. He's got phenomenal stamina as as a campaigner, and he clearly strikes a chord. So, you know, I think the 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 basic theory that needs to be disproved is that Trump didn't close the gap. I think that there's a very good chance that. The gap between um, what the polls predicted and what we observed may well have been Trump's campaign efforts. Um, and to that extent, the pollsters, that's kind of mitigation for for uh, their inability to predict what happened, right? So it, it could just be a campaign effect. Um, if, if it is actually the polls getting it wrong, then there are questions about methodology. Um, the problem, of course, is it's really... Um, the context for that kind of industry is harder now than it than it has been in the past. You know, people people receive a lot of robocalls. They they hang up. I know I certainly do when I when I receive them. They don't necessarily engage the way they used to sort of 30 years ago. Um, and then in in a time when you know there's a lot of um, uh, suspicion, people don't always reveal um, what their true their true preferences. Um, so I think. Until you find a way of bettering that, it's 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 very difficult. Um, mm. You know, one thing that people are doing that's a little bit related to polling is to use internet data, um, data about um, people's preferences in other domains. So, for example, if I know where you live, where you went to school, um, where you work, how you shop, uh, I can predict with great accuracy how you're likely to vote. So, those sorts, that sort of um, extraneous data can be used to generate voting predictions. Well, the Trump campaign is hosting a press conference in Philadelphia imminently. I'm sure you want to be across that. <laughs> and uh, God, how incredibly dramatic. And thanks for providing your insights. Uh, Dr. Zimwakora from Deakin University. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you very much for your time. It's great to be on. 
Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Melbourne has absolutely opened back up again and uh, Kath and I were made very much aware of this on the weekend because uh, normally during um, during lockdown we've had um, a couple of um, groups of friends where Friday night would be we'd play categories with some mates and Saturday night we'd hang out with some others and like just have a drink and a chat and stuff. Mm. Um, Friday there was no mention of categories. <laughs> and then and then on the Saturday night on Saturday morning, Cass sent a um, like a message to the group WhatsApp just saying, Anyone anyone up for a drink tonight? Jeez. No response. Oh, you gotta at like, least respond. No, they're too busy. Everyone's too busy. I was like I was like, Kath, like I don't think no one's got time to hang out with this now. They've all got their oh. they're busy. They're going out. It's We didn't know. we didn't think about that, did we? Think of the regional Victorians. Yeah. These <laughs> had a just... real hit to their internet social life. Yeah. Um anyway, we've made <laughs> Made it was totally fine. Watched Borat and Friday Night. God, it was funny. Such a funny movie. Um, and what else did I get up to? Um, a few other bits and pieces. We had uh, our neighbours came over and checked out our veranda. Oh, yeah. um, had a drink. That was lovely. The veranda's not quite finished yet, but it's finished enough to, you know, oh, have a look at this. Have a seat. Let's have a drink. Um, I made a platter. I felt so... Like a parent without kids, Do you know, like I'm, making a platter. For yeah. Oh, yeah, just making, just whip one up. What like, was on it? Cabana. Know. It was only Cabana on the platter. No Cabana. Hmm. Is that was that? What do you put it? Is that? No, oh, I'm thinking you, of like when I was a kid. A platter would consist of like cubes of cheese and Cabana, Savoy's. Yeah. You know, a gherkin dip. <laughs> gherkin <laughs> dip. Some sayos. There you go. Yeah. Carrot sticks, celery sticks. Oh, that's a lovely platter. Uh, mine was not far. I had uh, it was a hummus dip, half gone. Already had already eaten a lot of the hummus, but that's all right. Like I thought about getting it and putting it in a smaller container, but I couldn't find. I was like, oh, oh come on, out. that is the yeah. least you could have done. Put I mean, in a little really, ramekin. a half eat. Uh, ramekins. Look, I don't have any. We don't have any. You've got to get I'm just going to put it in like a, <laughs> teacup. a mini bowl. A teacup. That's good. No, that would have looked silly. I can't. Silly. What about when, the, yeah. when dip comes out in the plastic? I can't bear it. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you with your ears and grass. You sound like my mum. <laughs> It's just more dishes, Daniel. I mean, I have low standards in so many areas, but that's just one line that I've set myself for some reason. You would have been absolutely appalled with the platter that I had, mate. Just a hummus that was half gone already and uh, had some, like, rice crackers, I think, some some sort of, you know, light biscuit and uh, cheese, quince paste, Mm. blueberries, strawberries. Oh, that's a good platter. That's lovely. It's, I thought that was a good whipped up platter. Yeah, you know, last minute. Was the um was the soft alfoil still on the dip, the, <laughs> the lid, or did that at least come off? No, no, because it didn't it didn't have it was uh, didn't have it in the first place. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right, okay, well, that's good. That's a handy one. I mean, I I went I went to the pub, 
And if A, I think traffic, I think people are out of practice driving. That's uh-huh. my first observation. Uh-huh. Uh, they were crazy. Uh, are you picking this up too? Yeah, totally. And it was my, I decided to celebrate the end of lockdown by driving all the way down Punt Road, which was a terrible oh, idea. That's <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, pub, it was, I mean, that's my natural habitat. It was fun to uh, solve the world's problems face to face. Um, even even left my wallet there and had to get about get it the next oh, day. So nature is healing. Daniel Burt. <laughs> <laughs> Never is skipped there... a beat. <laughs> a night out is not complete unless Daniel has to call an establishment the next morning. Hello, do you have my wallet? Is this? I didn't realize this is a common. Yeah, thing. this is a common occurrence. Oh my god, <sighs> he did it at Attica when we went. <laughs> I had four months at self-improvement, squandered it. Oh, you need, you need oh, to keep it on a chain. You serve, you, serve you dip it a ramekin. Well, actually, no, I will say. Yeah. I went, I, I celebrated, went to the pub. Yeah, um, which was which was just super fun, and but I quite like the small crowds. I'm like, can we just keep it at twenty people? Oh mate, it's so it's nice. Good. And did you both get palmas? I actually didn't. I got a burger. Mm. I uh, I ordered ribs, and then when they said they, you know, it was all good, and then they came out five minutes later and said, "I'm sorry, we're out." I've never been so happy. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. I'm like, great, sell out of everything. <laughs> Oh, right. I thought you'd changed your mind about the briefs as soon as you ordered them. No, no, <laughs> like no. That. And you're like, uh, oh, that's right. I didn't want them anyway. Get me something That's else. right. No, switch to the kangaroo, which I should have gotten in the first place. Um, but, yeah, just very uh, – I mean, I really went to town when I could. Really just leaned in quite hard. Oh. And tell me about the um, – the tap beers. Was there a nice selection of tap beers? Mm, it was so nice yes. to have a tap beer. Uh, yep, uh, a ton of that. Um, also rounds of – I mean, we, we were there till closing time mm. and then and before that we were in a park and then mm. we had to go to, back to someone's joint. Um, so and I, I was up for about 24 hours. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, so good. The yeah. tap beers is I'm missing because I've noticed that every time I've been to a pub, I think I'm going to get a nice delicious tap beer, mm. but there's only been um, very limited selection of tap beers in the pubs. that I, Like in the last week when I went to the pub, I was like, oh, finally, they've got more than just Carlton mm. or VB on tap. Yeah. And it had like a couple of like, you know, craft pale ales type things. And then I got up and I was like, oh, and then realised that they weren't tapped. There was no tap on them. Oh, and I was no. like, <laughs> I said, you don't have those. And they went, no. And I went, <laughs> oh, the carton draft. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my next kind of, okay, I've had my fill, I've had my palmer, yeah, I've had yes. my beer, I've been to a pub. Yeah. Now I want to do it with um, different friends and more, right. <laughs> more selection of friends, more beers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's so interesting. You must be, just quickly, you, you must be looking at us opening up when you've already opened up going way ahead of you. Mm. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, but you get to do it with everybody. I didn't. I know. I'm sorry. Let's do categories on the weekend. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Melbourne's own Triple R. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you grow your plants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. Can you stop saying about dirt? It's time to talk gardening with a fresh-looking digger. Morning, digger. Mm. Good morning. Yes, I've have had my um, warm season prune. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a tight-clipped hedge. <laughs> and today's the day. Today's the day. First day back face-to-face work today for me, so it's all. I'm kind of nervous. Oh. I'm, not, I'm not used to interacting with people. You'll be great. Yeah. Don't you but, worry about it. You can just talk yeah. about your haircut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, well, it was a three-second conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and what? six hours of awkward silence. <laughs> what, uh, what, what is going on? What, what should we be planting? Well, it's amazing time. You know, obviously, Cup Day yesterday, traditionally, um, that's known as the day to plant your tomatoes. Um, Cup Day, get all your tomato varieties in because the weather's warming up. But because it's been such a different year this year, I thought hey, why don't we just mix it all up? It's like the, the year's gone to shit. Let's just really create, make this a crazy, wonderful experimental year, something mm-hmm. completely different. So rather than focusing on tomatoes all the time, I thought I'd talk about some of the more interesting vegetables that you can start to get in because there's a lot of different veggies that can go into the ground now or even you've still got time to plant the seed. And it was all um, from going through my little seed catalogue and I get given seeds all the time by students and networks and all different sorts of stuff. So I was given some tromboncino zucchini from um, a fellow gardening friend last year. And tromboncino is kind of like this long, curling, you know, mysterious, triffid-looking kind of zucchini, but it's a climbing plant, which usually zucchinis are a small, upright bush. But this is a climbing zucchini. And I thought, well, that's, yeah, I'm going to do something completely different that I've never grown before. And then I was thinking about other stuff. Think about chilies. You know, a lot of people, it's time to get chilies and capsicums in now. There's over 400 different varieties that you can grow, varying levels of, of heat or sweetness or whatever you want to do. So look for some interesting stuff. Eggplant. Have you ever seen the super uh, purple and white striped mm. eggplant? Yeah, they're called graffiti eggplants. So amazing looking things. Um, there's also another one called Rosa Bianca, which, as the name suggests, is a white eggplant and it's not the normal shape it's like a big it's like a melon rounded melon shape um, and it's super plump and super juicy now eggplants aren't really that juicy they're soft but this is actually quite juicy and then you've got like the Thai long green eggplant another amazing thing um, and it's used a lot by um, chefs because it carries flavor better than most so if you're a zucchini kind of person you want to you know get a bit more flavor because they can be a bit on the bland side mm. um, sorry not any eggplant i mean um then maybe the thai green and there's just so many different varieties of stuff out there and do they grow under the same conditions as just like a regular zucchini or eggplant do you need to do anything special for them no no and that's just it you know being in the same family you can just treat them exactly the same so mm. plenty of sun um Make sure they don't get super wet because being in the Solanaceae family, eggplants are related to tomatoes and potatoes and those kind of things. Um, They don't like having wet feet. So make sure it's well-drained but nice and warm and you grow them exactly the same. 
Yeah. Hmm. How come this juicy eggplant hasn't kicked off? Well, that's <laughs> just it. It's just not a people know that they exist, and there's so many different things. So this is where you, you know, go to your um, go to your nurseries and talk about them, or look up seed catalogs. We've spoken about seed catalogs heaps, because that's where you get a lot more choice. You get a lot more variety. So you know, diggers clubs probably the most commonly known in in Melbourne, but there are others around too. So just we've got the internet. It's an amazing thing. You can find all different sorts of stuff on the <laughs> mm. internet. Um, I think I think the, also the major controversy here is that you're getting seed-based bribes from students. Um, <laughs> it, that may be true, it may not. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of my courses are non-accredited, so it's not going to make any difference. <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but I one. don't tell them that. <laughs> um, I'm not past I'm not past a bribe at all. Um, <laughs> Basils, think of the basils, all the different types of basils. Most people just do common sweet basil and it's wonderful, I get it. Um, but think of Thai basil, you know, something a little bit sharp. Did you know that there was a lemon and lime basil? Mm, no. no. Uh, there's a plant called holy basil, which is a musk basil. Mm. Yeah? And then there's a cinnamon basil. Just mm. put cinnamon and basil together. There's literally hundreds and hundreds. There's 40, you know, nearly 400 varieties of basils as well. The main one I want to talk about before you cut off my mic, is pumpkins. Yes. <laughs> pumpkins. Again, you go to the supermarket, there's two to choose from. Um, Diggers Club alone have about 60 different varieties. Yeah. So some classic ones, Bohemian, which is a beautiful flavour, but it's got a really rough russet skin. It looks like it's been, you know, um, been rusting in the ground for half a century, but the inside is incredible, mm. incredible. And we're predicted to have, like, it was El Nino this year, which is like a long warmer summer and that's perfect for pumpkin growing so i reckon everyone if you're going to have a crack at anything different this year it's pumpkins well i i've grown lots of lots of veggies and stuff before just the basic what whatever basic people can do but i've often been scared of pumpkins because they say they take over your garden what do you have um, to do to stop if, that uh first world problem Mon. don't worry about it right. it's only for a short amount of time um <laughs> they will climb up your walls and go over your fences and but it's only the root system is, is small. The root system is about the size of a phone book. Mm. Remember them? Um, <laughs> about, I should say a laptop these days. But, yes, it's the vine itself that crawls along the ground. So if it's going somewhere you don't want it to go, just literally turn it around and head it in another direction. Huh. It's, a, it's a great way of keeping the weeds down over summer because you get this massive big carpet for three months mm. and, then, and then it dies off. And when it dies off, that's when you get the surprise of finding how many pumpkins you actually got sitting under the leaf. And because there's, as you say, what, like two sorts of pumpkin, uh, you know, usually available, what does it take to get, say, this bohemian pumpkin? Uh, A, what's so good about it? And B, does it need better PR? I mean, wh why can't, why isn't it more readily available? Um, purely because for supermarket varieties, whatever varieties you see at the supermarket, it's all about how they travel and how they store. That's the only criteria to meet the supermarket requirements, you know. Um, how long are they going to sit on the shelf? Will they still look great when they're on the shelf for five days, six days, seven days? Mm. And do they like being in a truck for a day? Yeah. So these other varieties don't, you know, they don't do as well. Um, and maybe it's yield qualities have something to do with it. So something like um, there's one, the Dills Atlantic Giant pumpkin. And as the name suggests, that pumpkin is what you see in the pumpkin growing competitions, up yeah. to 227 kilos. <gasps> And, yeah, so there's all these other things that, that play a role. I think if more people were growing their own, and remember supermarkets are all about, you know, feedback is a big thing too. If something doesn't sell, then it doesn't earn its place. 
if more people were growing little unusual things. So um, there's a little melon, it's called a mini sweet delicata, which for a lot of people, you know, you see pumpkins are cut into quarters at the supermarket because that variety, Jarradale or Queensland Blue, which is what those varieties are, grow to a fruit that's about seven kilos. Now, there's other varieties that only grow to about one or two kilos, like mm. mini gold nugget, for example, and this delicata mini, which is perfect for smaller households. Yeah. Just they're not, they're just thinking, well, there isn't enough people that will buy it. Well, it's about you trying it, finding it, you know, maybe then going to farmers markets and just increasing the popularity that way. Mm. But I think if everyone has a go, I think the fun part is just having a go and trying something not dictated to you by the supermarket. Absolutely. And the the cinnamon basil, is that, how's that go? Um, fantastic. Again, as the name suggests, it's kind of a little bit, I think it's better when it's a little bit cooked rather than raw because like cinnamon, when it's raw, it's a little bit scratchy on the throat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's going to be like a donut. It's not like that. It's still, yeah, it's still a basil, but you just have this hint of, you know, like five spice at the back of your throat when you're eating it. So, yeah, quite um, And would you pair it with a juicy eggplant? <laughs> well, I don't see why you wouldn't. And while you're there, maybe have a, have a bohemian slice of pumpkin on the side. <laughs> um, just can can I ask you? Mentioned the four hundred varieties of chilies. If you were to zero in on your sort of off the beaten path favourite, yeah, uh, what would you recommend? Um, I like chili. Yeah, so I'm closer to the habanero family, which is you know in the Schofield scale right up high. So if you're thinking of a scale of ten, the habanero family are up near the ten. Um, but if you wanted to come down a little bit, you've got the jalapenos, which sit at around the eight out of ten heat mark. <laughs> And if you want to just sneak down a little bit more, the Thais sit around the seven, the Thai little Thai chilies, the bird's eyes, sit at around the six to seven mark as well. So, And then obviously you get right down to capsicum, mm. and capsicums are the same family, the chilies, which are a one on the heat factor. Yep. Yeah. So I, I like the hot. I like the habaneros. I'm yet to try ghost chili. I want to find one, mm. yet to try one, but I'm up for it. Cool. And and everything you've mentioned today is good to plant now. It's perfect to plant now. Amongst other things, we've still got corn you can get in now. Obviously, the, all the lettuces can go in now, the carrots, all the classics can go in now. Um, there's so many. Seeds this, or... this time is probably the biggest planting season. Seeds or right. seedlings? You can do both right now. If you can get your hands on seedlings, you, you've excelled. Just, you know, you're, you put yourself ahead about four to six weeks, but you can still <laughs> sow seeds now. The weather is perfect. Right now, for sowing seeds. Beautiful. Um, Digger, chookers for today. Pleasure, as always. And uh, enjoy your first day kickbacks. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of brown bags. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mate. Triple R. Simone, your baldy's back to talk screen stuff. Hey, Simone. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Yeah, good. Very well, thank you. What about you? I'm well. I need to – I would like to um, preface this review with just a note for people who care about good films. Um, um, ben Jong-ho's, one of his early films, and most acclaimed mother, has just um, appeared on the SBS streaming channel, as with a bunch of our murder bar films. Mm. And- Road Trevay is about to um, open Acme's online screening club on November 19. 
a number of quality films to choose from, as recommended by me prior to this morning's discussion of the Straight to Video 1991. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm so embarrassed, and I chose the film that we're talking about today, which is called, <laughs> which is called Prayer of the Roller Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, has anyone seen it by any no. chance? No, I have not even heard of yeah, it either. Yeah, it's probably a good reason for that. <laughs> so it's set in, it, it was made in 1991. It's set in a dystopian near future America. Uh, in which Corey Haim plays Griffin, the um, the sole carer of his younger brother, Milty. They live in a tent at the back of a gentleman called Speed Bagger's House, which is them having come up in the world because they were reared in America's now widespread homelessness camps that appeared in the wake of the Great Crash, um, which is implied to be some kind of uh, hellish economic downturn that threw America into its... Um, fullest chaos um, and class divide. So Griffin and Milty are living in a tent trying to keep themselves to themselves. Griffin has a fairly sketchy job as a pizza delivery driver um, for an amazing character called Pinky who is like just human slime um, made physical. Uh, The delivery driver, the delivery van um, that he drives, that, that Griffin drives has like is like armed and he uh, travels with a gun because that is the universe in which we're living. The streets are overrun mm. with criminals uh, and particularly drug use is endemic, paralleling to America's, um, you know, struggles with opiate addiction. Um, but the drugs are being put, this is the key part of the film that I'm building up to and it's so great. The drugs <laughs> in this, in L.A. anyway, in this future dystopian L.A., are being pushed by uh, the dominant street gang, the Roller Boys, uh, led by Gary Lee. Yes, yes. And the Roller Boys are uniformed in cream, in, in the heat of Los Angeles, in long cream overcoats oh. and black shirts and some very natty cream caps. Um, <laughs> they are rollerbladers. They're yep. a, a gang of rollerbladers who, who <laughs> head around in like a flying V formation <laughs> with the AK-47s. What? And, oh. they're, and they're meant to be – I just looked at a picture. They're meant to be intimidating? Oh, they're, they're, they are. They're meant oh. to be incredibly intimidating. The slow motion flying V formation <laughs> rollerblading really drives that message home. So, I would have thought the police would maybe just have to chase them down a cobblestone street and then it was all over. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't pick it away at it, Daniel. Sorry. Don't ruin the fantasy. Yeah. I have to say, amongst the many things I really love about this film, the agility of these characters on their rollerblades is impressive. At one stage, Corey Haim, who did most of his own stunts for the film, mm. runs up a, like a two, like two flights of stairs. In rollerblades? With, it's rollerblades, yeah. Anyway, so basically, what happens is uh, Griffin uh, is enlisted to become to work for the cops to go undercover with the roller boys to discover what this white supremacist group means by the day of the rope, which is the thing that they gather around fire pits and chant menacingly at each other um, while doing a sort of affectation that kind of vaguely resembles a Nazi salute. Because of course they're like horrible white supremacists as well, and it turns out. I'm going to tell you because I don't think anyone's going to watch this film, although it is freely available on YouTube. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The 
that the rope is actually a plan to, because they're distributing this mist drug that everyone's smoking, um, it's their plan to sterilise all the losers and no-hopers who are on the mist and begin the great rebirth of America, which the leader of the Roller Boys, Gary Lee, is buying back brick by brick from the Japanese who have literally bought great American universities and institutions and rebuilt them in Japan brick by brick. Uh, so it's, oh, That's it's an interesting about, twist, yeah. Well... It's about making America great again in, uh, in, in far more words. Um, yeah, so that is the film. Why aren't you more sympathetic to it, given it sounds pretty interesting? No, I love this film. I love this film. It is terrible. It is a genuinely <laughs> terrible piece of B-grade trash that rightly has found its lasting home for free on YouTube. Yeah. However... I am of an age when, A, I remember the brief window in which rollerblading was cool, mm. um, which, you know, and the, and, the, and the death of that trend, which <laughs> took about three months, has not served the film well in terms of its longevity. I was there. I loved Corey Ham growing up, as did everyone of my generation, because he's like the prettiest boy in human history. Mm. Um, and uh, it's actually, it's actually, <laughs> it's actually a lot better than reviews online would indicate. Largely because there are some performances in this film by the guys who play like the henchmen, um, like Gary Lee, this weirdly menacing guy called Bullwinkle, and this kind of Billy Idol-looking beefcake called Bango, who are very, very, very good in their roles. The script, for what it's worth, was written by the guy who wrote Point Break, mm-hmm. who, if you have time, I encourage you to, to Google his name's um, Peter Eilif. I encourage you to Google him. He looks like he's, if he's still alive today, he is most certainly wearing a MAGA hat somewhere. Mm. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of like, but it, but like weirdly, there are a lot of kind of cult classics and trash films from the 70s and 80s, and this really outpunches it in terms of its dialogue. Um, and and story development. It's actually really it's a it's a pretty good guilty watch. Um, but the reason why I wanted to talk about it today, I mean, look, I looked at a bunch. There are a lot of films that that kind of look at the American political system and look at um, degrees of kind of decay within it, starting from Mr. Smith goes to Washington on forward. I was going to talk about Wag the Dog, which is David Mamet. Um, film that was produced about, you know, staging a war to distract from a political uh, corruption. But all of them seem so quaint in mm. the political context. Like even though, you know, this has been a consistent kind of message within Hollywood cinema is we can't trust our leaders since, you know, almost the, since the golden era of film, they just they seem so naive in the context of what we're looking at today Um in terms of American politics, whereas where are the roller boys? Legitimately, particularly because it takes place. <laughs> bear with me, because it takes place in a in a world in Los Angeles that's very familiar because it's a it's a it's not a um, surreal sci-fi landscape. Mm-hmm. LA, it's just like a bleached out sepia toned LA, and everyone's wearing clothes that you could pick up from a thrift store. And because of that and because the concerns are about um, because the society is basically just gross inequality in America having uh, lost its sense of self and it's all this prosaic crap like basically just gangs and drugs, it just feels like weirdly tonally 
on point for this moment. It's like that's right. It's just it's just a kind of decaying world where so many people just don't give a shit about each other and, you know, may desperately need a reset. And did, does Patricia Arquette get a good run? Patricia Arquette is, is like peak hotness in this film. Oh, God, you can tell I was raised in the 90s. <laughs> but it's, but she's like, she is not, I'm going to say Patricia Arquette is not the world's greatest gift to acting. She's outstripped yeah. by those rando henchmen who's no one, who no one's ever heard from again. <laughs> she mm. plays the undercover cop and, and it's actually really confronting from a position of 2020 morality and kind of sexual boundaries, but because her body is constantly being used in this transactional way to try and penetrate, pardon the language, um, the roller boys in a circle. So she looks really hot, but she's actually a lot of things, she does things and a lot of things happen to her that you're like, oh, mm. this would not fly in a 2020 script. Dead uh, but, you know, the, uh, but the thing that really stays with me most about this film which I knew back then and it was like confirmed on my rewatching last week is that the outfits that the roller boys wear are like boss threads, like the most visionary costuming that was so cool back then. And they remain cool to this day. Um, and that's the most important thing I want everyone to take away from <laughs> this film. I really like the clothes. And uh, as a, as a palate cleanser, what were those, what were the SBS films you recommended? Okay. Again, <laughs> bunch of our motor bar films on SBS, including yep. her mother. So Bong Joon-ho, who is <laughs> a palate cleanser. <laughs> um, uh, so the Parasite director, um, many people believe it's his best film. It's just uh, premiered on SBS. And Acme is starting a new screening club and closing his Beau Travail, which is a, his um, 90s, 90s classic, um, on the 19th of November. Cool. Like plenty of quality cinema out there. I don't need That's a palate right. cleanser. That sounds like the film for me. I can't wait to watch Prayer <laughs> yeah. of the Roller Boys. <laughs> They're all great. I recommend them all highly. <laughs> and the, the, the version looks really high quality for a 30-year-old film on uh, YouTube as well, the version that's up there, having a look. Somebody loves it. I mean, it, it's not hard. It's so blown out. Like The contrast is dialed up and the warmth is dialed up and it's not meant to look realistic and you can hide a lot of shame in that. So. <laughs> well, it's it's all online to watch. It's Prayer of the Roller Boys, Simone Baldi. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Thanks guys. That's right, Triple R. I'm uh, so excited to watch the film that Simone reviewed, <sighs> The Prayer of the Roller Boys mm. mm-hmm. from 1991. Uh, obviously features uh, rollerblading in it quite heavily. Can't wait to see that. I can't tell you how obsessed I was with rollerblading in that era of when rollerblading was cool in those mm. the early 90s. Um, I think it's like our family, well, I would roller skating, not a problem, all over it. There was a roller skating rink that we would go to every Friday night and so I could I could skate. It was very, I think I did all right at it. Um, and it was just a fun thing to do on a Friday night because we would go, uh, I think we'd like book in for this early session, so it was like from like six till six thirty, and then we get fish and chips on the way home, oh. and it was just heaven, mm. you know. Skating around a few disco tracks, same tracks every time. <laughs> just pop on that same tape, and around you go. Mm. 
And then it was, all right, change direction. No problem. Back there. All right, to speed skating. Get off the track if you can't. Keep up. I can keep up. No problem. Stay on there. Um, Half hour chunks. Yeah, I think there was some. That maybe they had like this discounted kind of like $2 for half an hour kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Mum would go, all right, kids, this is your time to shine. This is how we do it. <laughs> cool. um, I think, and but also that half an hour felt like a really long time. Mm. Like it was like that was, for me, it was perfect. I just had, I just had the best time. I loved it. And then in the early 90s, there was an ad that would come on TV for a large soft drink brand that featured heavily with rollerbladers doing dances to Everybody's Free. <laughs> Remember that? Everybody's, Everybody's free. free. Feel good. Yeah. And there was a gang of rollerbladers and they, they would dance and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world <laughs> and it would give me, every time the ad came on, I would just be like, oh, my, oh this is... This is what I want my life to be. I want to jump through a uh, a billboard and end up in the streets of New York, dancing with a like with a street gang, but all on rollerblades, and they're just doing um, dance offs. That's what on rollerblades. That's mm-hmm. what I want my life the to life be. You for you. Yeah, I just thought this is the coolest. This is what this is what the nineties is all about. This is what it's like. Mm. You were at the coal phase. Did people jump from from roller skating to roller blading, and was there a division? Mm. Sharks versus yeah. the Jets. Yeah, uh, I think everyone just went. Oh, we roller blade now. Oh, right. There was mm. no, there's no roller skating anymore. Just finished. I mean, you still roller skating at the rink. In the rink, no yeah. So were you allowed yeah. roller blades in the rink? Yeah, eventually, but okay. not not in. Like rollerblading was for the streets, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Down the streets. It's about you know, the rolls you keep rolls getting in that rink and then the blading out yeah. in the world. And can I ask being, to be. be, being an expert, uh one thing I observed was people gliding with their hands behind their back. It's a real like, thing. Casually. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Were they showing off or was that they were showing actually... off, yeah, oh, okay. sure. that's, that's what it was. That was like, I don't need my hands to steady me. I'm I'm balanced. I don't need my hands to balance. It's all about, uh, yeah. Aerodynamics. So, yeah, exactly. Mm. I, because um, mum would take us roller skating for $2 a pop for half an hour. When I'd say, mum, can I please have a pair of roller blades? No, <laughs> not happening, not happening. Uh, but then uh, I must have had some kind of part-time job or babysitting money or something. But I would spend um, I would spend a lot of time going to a large department store and just browsing and you know wishing I could buy things and occasionally would. Um, but there was one day where I was browsing and I noticed that there was X display models of a pair of rollerblades. Now, they were heavily dis- discounted mm. and in my size or maybe close enough to my size. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to a few Explorer socks, fill them out. Just 
tight squeeze. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no, no socks. <laughs> I can, we'll just keep the laces loose and we'll be fine. It'll be fine. Uh, they were so heavily discounted that I was like, I have to, I'll get them. And even when I was buying them, the the person working there was just like, Are you sure you want these? And I was like, <laughs> yes. Um also I should mention when I say pair, I mean um two left ones. No, you didn't. No way. Yeah. <laughs> but I was that obsessed with wanting to have my own rollerblades that I had two different coloured rollerblades both for the left foot Where's... and one size too small. <laughs> Who had the right one? Someone else is out there was out there with the, <laughs> the... I don't I don't may, yeah maybe there is another me out there. <laughs> Heavily discounted. Me. You were ripped off. <gasps> yeah. How long but even and how Sorry. long did you actually, like, before you realised, oh, I've made a grave error? You know, were you covered in blisters? Did you just, pers- you know, persevere? I think I had one go at them and there was a, a street nearby that had, um, it, like, it was freshly paved, so it was really smooth road and it was kind of, it's in a cul-de-sac, so it was like the houses hadn't been built yet and it was just perfect to do a bit of, up and down, practice, putting my hands behind my back, no problem. Mm. But it's it's hard. Are they angled? I mean, I've never even put yeah. on rollerblades. So are you constantly turning in a circle? <laughs> yeah, one, like it felt like one foot was, like my right foot was compensating a lot. And I think I lasted, I don't know, maybe about 20 minutes or so. And that's when I thought, yeah, no, I've, I've mucked this up. I've, <laughs> I'm not getting into the roller boys this this summer. Yeah, yeah, I've I've ruined this. But um, and then and then the fad passed. So really, who came out on 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 top? They didn't waste your money on a proper pair of roller blades like all those yeah, exactly. fools. Exactly. Yeah. Went back to the roller skating rink and listened to those same disco tracks. I went around. <laughs> I always thought rollerblading was just inherent. I've never done it and I probably never will. Um, but I always just thought it was inherently dangerous because my older sister did it and got a bit too cocky, I think, and um, thought she'd go down some stairs on, in them, just like little oh. little steps from our cousin's front door down to the driveway. It looks so easy when they do it Because I don't the want to take them off for these, you know, just... five steps. I'll just, I'll just go down. <laughs> and so she was, I don't know, I think she must have been about 11 um, and so I would have been five and um, fell over and mum was there like waiting to pick her up. So she hit mum with the car in the driveway. She's like, come on. And so she just roller skated down the stairs, fell off and started crying. <laughs> and mum said... I'll get up, we, we're late, you know, get in the car. Um, and two days later, realised she'd broken her arm. <laughs> <gasps> just at the peak of, just at the, sorry, not the peak, but the beginning of summer, spent all summer swimming with her arm in a cast in a plastic bag oh, above her head. God. <laughs> That's you, what we did in the 90s, mate. That's right. But, but you, did win the, you did win the JVC package on Funniest Home Video. Triple so. <laughs> <laughs> R. 
You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website.